Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. You know, I love it. You know, I really believe that uh, that God speaks to us, and uh, often we don't hear His voice. I don't think um, I don't think most of us hear an audible voice hollering at us. But I think we hear God clearly very often. It wasn't that long ago that uh, I was preparing to preach just a couple of weeks ago, and I was really dwelling on finding joy in all things. And I, I, I said to God, you don't, don't challenge God, because he's right there, and he will accept that challenge. I said, you know, God, I want to do better at finding the joy in all things, because I struggle with that. I can find joy in great things. It's hard for me to find joy in things I don't like. I said, God, I want to do better this week. This was a Saturday afternoon. I said, I want to do better this week in finding joy in all things. And that thought was no sooner past my heart than the, the door of, of the home office opens and Shannon comes in and she's got the mail and she says, hey, great news in the mail today. And I said, well, all right, God, already. I can find joy in something. You're starting me off easy. You're easing me into this with good news. And I said, what is it? And she throws it down on the desk and she says, you've been called up for jury duty. <laughs> and I said, thank you, Lord, for not just easing me in, but just picking me up and throwing me headfirst into the deep end. And there's got to be joy in there somewhere, right? Please pray for me this week as I do my, as I, I report for jury duty you report via Zoom because that's the reality now in 2021. And you know how proficient I am with the technology, so pray for me as, as I report to jury duty via Zoom. And then they let me know where I go from there and, and how I do that. But um, I do believe that God speaks to us as, as things are happening around us. On the table in front of you this morning, there is an encouragement card. It's, it's it's a kind of a pale yellow sheet, and I would like to challenge you to encourage somebody today by writing a quick note on that. Real easy. Write something quick right here. You don't have to fill up a whole letter or whatever, and then you can just fold it up, put their name on the outside of it, stick it on the table over there, and if they're here in this service or the next service, we can check that table and get that. We're going to leave that table for the next couple of weeks. If you want to encourage somebody who you know isn't going to be checking the table because they're not here, take it with you and give it to them. You don't have to leave it here. It's allowed to, to leave the room. And if you want some more of them, we, we can get you some more. That's not a problem. Uh, but I would like to encourage you, as I'm talking this morning, if you think of somebody you want to encourage, write them while we're doing it. Don't wait till later. Don't put it off. Go ahead. It won't offend me if you're writing while I'm talking. I will just pretend I am so deep that you are taking notes. Okay? And, and you don't have to wave the card at me to prove that, that otherwise. Our, uh, our scripture this morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read it out of the easy to read version. Verses 24 and 25. We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and do good works. We must not quit meeting together as some are doing. No, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day getting closer. This is the word of God. We are being instructed to encourage each other. That's why the encouragement cards are there this morning. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because life 
is pretty hard sometimes, isn't it? Has anybody in here encountered that life gets hard once in a while? Life is sometimes unfair. I don't know if anybody in here but me has ever noticed that, but sometimes life is not fair. When I was a little kid, I complained about life not being fair, and my dad told me that a fair was a place to eat a corn dog and step in some horse poop. So that helped me as a small child begin to put into perspective the fact that life is not fair. We're not promised it's going to be fair, and it's never really going to be fair. And once in a while, when life is fair or better than fair for you, that's God's blessings. So we need to celebrate when that happens, and we need to not complain when the other happens. Some of the symptoms of somebody dealing with an unfair life, which is all of us once in a while, you can become a little bit cynical. You can get sometimes kind of bored. You can have a lack of energy or a lack of an ability to manage your time. You can feel like you just can't get anything done that you need to get done, but you look back and you feel like you got a whole lot done of the stuff that you shouldn't have even been doing in the first place. It's a lack of control in our life when it comes to sin. That's not to say that that unfair life is the reason we sin. We sin, that's our choice to sin. But it becomes harder for us to make that right choice, especially people that struggle with any sort of an addictive or, or bad decision making. You know, a lot of times people that are dealing with an unfair life, they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, pornography, gambling. Financial mismanagement, which is a form of gambling. I'm going to go, and I'm just going to go spend all my money on Twinkies this afternoon, and I am gambling that this is going to be the month that Clay Electric calls me and says, hey, free electricity in your house this month. You don't need to pay an electric bill. I'm gambling on that. It's not going to turn out in my favor. Um, you know, we turn to decaying entertainment. And, and I say decaying entertainment because most of what Hollywood presents to us is decaying in one form or another, unless it's already decayed so far that it's just outright rotten. But I believe that we take comfort in a lot of those things to deal with the fact that life is not fair and life is hard. And that, that amounts to, we had a young person in our youth group a few years ago who defied that to me as just wrestling with life. And I think that's a really good way to put it. Don't most of us just wrestle with life on a daily basis? If you don't, wait till tomorrow morning when that alarm clock goes off. You're going to be wrestling with life. And you're not alone. Neither are the people you know that wrestle with life. They are not wrestling with it alone. The Word of God gives us some great examples of, of people who wrestled with life. King David wrote several psalms. And if you read through some of these psalms that King David wrote, he was really wrestling. He was really heartbroken. He was really in the grip of great sadness. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 7. Boy, that is not... It's, it's spiritually encouraging, but when you just give it a surface skim, a surface read-through, it's not encouraging. It's written by somebody in the grip of great sadness. Solomon, who had great wealth and great wisdom in the grip of great sadness. The prophet Elijah. One chapter after, we remember prophet Elijah, he called fire down from heaven. One chapter after that, he laid down under a juniper tree and, and asked God to take his life. That is somebody who is wrestling. That is somebody who's having a hard time. Jonah, we know that story, ran away from God, 
because he was unhappy with what God wanted him to do. God swallowed by a fish, gave in and went and did what God wanted him to do. And then when God responded in a godly way to what Jonah did, Jonah wasn't happy with that response. And he climbed up on a hill and started to sulk because he was unhappy with that. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Paul, who had joy in prison, who encouraged us to find great joy, often wrestled with life. Peter, the, the rock of the church, the cornerstone of the church, what we know as church, Peter wept bitterly after denying Christ. Some great men of God have really wrestled with life, and, and that's just proof to us that even believers are not immune from that. And I'm probably preaching that to the choir because in this room, many believers, and we know that we wrestle with that stuff. We wrestle with our finances. We wrestle with our relationships. Most of us have mourned or are still in mourning for something that we have lost. Most of us struggle with some sort of sin that we are either trying to conquer or that we have conquered but even though it's in the rearview mirror, it's still right there. We struggle with staying connected to God, don't we? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. How easy is it to do the daily reading? It's pretty easy. Just open the book and start reading the words. But how easy is it to do that daily reading? How easy is it to memorize scripture? How easy is it to ask God every day to speak into your life. These are things we all struggle with. You know, and just a, a couple weeks ago, we had several mornings where it was really foggy outside. And driving into the church one of those mornings, so Tuesday or Wednesday, it was, there was a really bad accident that morning. It was like the foggiest that had been in, in years and years is what people from, from this area have told me. And driving in, I could really only see probably from me to to Ben back there, which that's a pretty long way to see when you're walking. When you're riding along in a car at 25, 30 miles an hour, that's not a long way to see. That doesn't give you a lot of reaction time for things in front of you. And as we struggle, many of us are walking around in that sort of a fog because our struggles make it hard to see. Hard to see God, how to see the good, hard to see the joy, hard to see what is going great. We need some encouragement, don't we? I mean, we all need encouragement. I hope that you are kind of catching the, the vision of this sermon series that we are working through. These one another's. Over 60 times in the New Testament alone, we are, the, the phrase one another or each other is used as an instruction about how we are supposed to treat each other. How we are supposed to treat one another. And, and it is the, the heart of the pastor of this church. It is the heart of myself. That we communicate to you. Not just those words. But why they are so important. That we love one another. That we serve one another. We forgive one another. We restore one another. We honor one another. We encourage one another. And we want to, to press that into you. Because I really believe. 2021, so far, it hasn't been a whole lot different than 2020. 2020 2.0 is, is what some people have called it. 
And, and I really believe that 2020 showed a lot of us we have a lot less control over what's going on than we would like, don't we? Because all of a sudden we got to do church from home and we got to figure out technology. All of a sudden we have to figure out this way to, to, to gather together but stay socially distant. All of a sudden we have to figure out a way to encourage one another from far away because things that we have always, always taken for granted, going to, to visit somebody in the hospital, we can no longer do. Going to visit somebody in a nursing home, we can no longer do. Sometimes it's been difficult to even cross state lines and get to visit somebody that we really want to visit. It's been a challenge. I believe with all my heart that right now the church, not just this church, but this church, but not just this church, the church is being primed to examine its routines and figure out how to create a new normal. If you get tired of hearing those two words together yet. But, but to create a new normal going forward to deal with our circumstances because, let's face it, it's crazy out there. And the worse it gets out there, the harder it gets out there. Anybody glad that you're not a teenager in this world? I mean, I'd love to be young again, but, but not at the cost of being young in this culture, is it gets harder out there. We need to get better in here. And I don't mean that we need to get better as we look down at the, the faulty world. I mean, we need to be better prepared to be Jesus out there. And we need to get better at that, and we all need to do it together. Because the days of being able to let the preacher handle it, I think those days are, are, are over. Because we're all on the front lines of this culture. And we all need to be ready. So we are supposed to encourage one another. And that's not an option, it's a command. It's an expectation as a believer. Hebrews 10.24, encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25, encourage one another. It's mentioned in each verse that we're looking at this morning. And when it says encouragement, it's not talking about being complimentary. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with saying, Wow, I love those shoes, great shoes, where'd you get those? There is nothing wrong with coming in and saying, Sam, love your hair, where'd you get it done? It's great. There is nothing wrong with that complimentary, but, but that's not a spiritual thing. It can be if you take it to heart. Years ago, we had a, a, a girl in youth group with us who put a, lot of, put a lot of care into her hair. She loved doing hair, so she put a lot into her hair. And she one time confessed to my wife, she says, I, I, I struggle with, I don't want to be vain. I like when people compliment my hair because I, I enjoy doing it and I put a lot into it, but I don't, I don't want to be vain. And Shannon said, well then find a way to encourage other people as they encourage you. And so this girl really, I mean, she picked it up and she ran with this in such a way, she started calling girls from the youth group, girls from school and saying, hey, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? I'm going to bring all my stuff over to your house and do your hair. So that they can get their hair complimented as well. So you can turn that kind of surface level thing into a ministry. Trust me, it was a ministry. She touched a lot of lives doing that. But that complimentary thing, that's not really what we're called to do. We are called to really encourage. I love this quote from William Ward. It says, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. 
Encourage me, and I will never forget you. Spiritual encouragement is what we are called to give each other. We are called to remind ourselves God is in control. God is still in control. Because every now and then we all need to hear that. Every now and then we all need to be reminded of that. Because every now and then, sometimes very often, we get into these points where we just feel like the world is spinning out of control. And we need somebody standing next to us saying, the world, God is still in control, brother. Doesn't feel like it, but God is still in control. That is what we need. So how do we encourage one another spiritually? We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and do good works. That's verse 24. Think about each other. Well, I really believe that as we think about each other, that's a call to pray for one another. That is a challenge that I took on months ago here in this church. And I have been doing that as much as I can during my week. When one of you guys crosses my mind, I stop and pray for you. I have spent a lot more time talking to God and I've had a lot less time to get in my own way because I'm spending more time with God. Because when I think of you, I don't just stop and think, man, that, that, that praise team's doing pretty good. I like it. Didn't they do a great job this morning? When that, I, I don't just stop and think, well, praise team's doing good. I like that. And then go on about my day. That praise team's doing good. I'm stopping and start praying for them by name. And sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it takes me 45 seconds to mention each one and pray for them. But that is what we are called to do. Think about each other. Get to know each other so we can encourage each other. We can't meet each other's needs if we don't know each other. We can't be in each other's lives in the way that we need each other in our lives if we don't know each other. Weeks and weeks ago now, a couple of months, many months ago now, actually, I had this coronavirus that's been going around. Pastor of the church had it at the same time. I keep telling people he gave it to me. He keeps telling people I gave it to him. The reality is we don't know where it came from exactly, but we both had it at the same time. What an encouragement he was to me because he was texting me nonstop. We were commiserating together and doing our best to make each other laugh as we went through that. So many people from this church brought food to me while I was sick. I mean, there was, because I, I was weak and I was moving and, and even slower than I normally move. And so there were many days somebody would knock on the door, and by the time I got to the door, they were gone, but there was food out there. I don't even know who brought it. I ate it anyways, though, because it was, it was a blessing to me. But I, I, I loved that, that encouragement. I didn't even know where it came from. So many people texted me, say, brother, I'm praying for you. Hey, brother, how are you feeling? Hey, brother, do you need anything? What an encouragement. Why is encouragement important? Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other every day while you still have something called today. Every, just like that word always, our pastor talked about a little, little bit ago. Every, consistent, encourage each other every day. Not encourage each other most of the days. Not encourage each other some of the days. Encourage each other every day. Well, how do we do that? I don't see y'all every day. I can talk to God about you every day. I don't see you every day. Maybe I need to do a better job of reaching out and talking to you every day, texting you every day, letting you know every day that you are on my heart. 
Some of us in this church family are really, really good at that. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't want encouraged, don't let Brother Sam get your phone number. Because he'll blow your phone up with text messages. Some of us are really good at it. Some of us, me, I'm, I'm not. I don't always reach out to people at the frequency that I should. I've gotten so much better about thinking and then praying, but I don't always reach out and say, and we need to get better at that because it says, encourage each other every day. Luke chapter 6. Give to others and you will receive. You will be given much. It will be poured into your hands. More than you can hold. You will be given so much that it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. This is not a verse about prosperity. This isn't even necessarily about money. It's about living generously. Being generous with our, with our time and our words and our talent and our possessions. But think about this in the case of our words. The more you give, the more you're going to get. Reminds me of the story, this, this guy got a dog. And his, his son left for work really early, like four in the morning. So every day when the son, son left for work, he'd let the dog out into the yard. They had a big fenced-in yard. So at 4 a.m., he'd let the dog out into the yard. Well, then when this guy got up, his son had been gone a couple hours, he would open the front door, and the paper boy had come by on his bike, and because of the fence... The paper boy couldn't get really close to the house, so the deal was paper boy would just throw the paper up into the yard as far as he could, and the guy would open the door and walk out into the yard and pick up the paper. Every day for weeks, the dog watches this guy come out and get the paper, and the dog learns the man wants the paper in the house. One morning, the guy opens the front door, and the dog's on the front porch with the paper. The dog has learned to bring the paper to the porch. Well, the guy picks up the paper and brings the dog inside and gives the dog a treat, encourages the dog for what he has done, and sits there in the kitchen with the dog eating the treat, and, and, and the guy reads the paper. The next morning, he opens the door. The dog is there with the paper. The dog picks up the paper again off of the porch and now brings it all the way into the kitchen because the dog was encouraged by that treat and wants another one. And then this becomes their morning routine. Two days, three days, four days, a week, two weeks. And the dog loves the encouragement he gets from this treat. And the man is encouraged because the dog's bringing him the paper. And this is the way he thinks this is supposed to work. And, and he's enjoying this. And the dog is enjoying it. And the dog is, is beginning to put together that if one paper is worth one treat, the guy opens the door one morning, there's eight papers on the front porch. The dog has tunneled under the fence and gone to the neighbors and starts taking their papers and the guy looks out and, and the dog picks up the paper, runs it into the kitchen and comes back and gets another paper and runs it into the kitchen and the guy had a great blessing as he had to walk around to all his neighbors and, and apologize for their paper being missing that morning but the dog learned hey, hey, if one paper is worth one treat maybe a whole pile of papers give me a whole pile of treats the more we give the more we get Hebrews is a very powerful book. It is written to Christians who were struggling. Christians who were considering giving up. Christians who were saying, well, maybe this Christian thing isn't worth it. See, they had decided to follow Jesus, and then following Jesus got hard. Anybody in here ever, ever encounter that? 
Because you start following Jesus, it's, it's not always easy. And these guys, they were having real persecution. They were losing friends, property, freedom. Sometimes they were, they were losing their lives. What was happening in that culture when Hebrews was written is these Christians were sometimes being impaled on sharp poles and lit on fire at night to provide kind of a kind of a nightlight. I mean, that, that's real persecution. And they were a little bit discouraged by this. And they were kind of thinking, you know, life was a little bit easier before I took up this Jesus thing, because before I took up this Jesus thing, nobody was threatening to impale me on a pole and light me on fire. Maybe I want to go back to that. Because I don't want to be run through with a pole and lit on fire. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Encourage each other and help each other grow stronger in faith, just as you are already doing. And I, I cite that verse because in the original Greek translation of that verse, I'm not going to try to say anything in Greek, because I can't. But the original translation in Greek of the word encouragement is so close to the Greek word for Holy Spirit. That is not a coincidence. Paul used those words on purpose. Encouragement is a spiritual thing. It is a godly thing. It is a holy thing. And I mention that because in this culture where people are saying, you know, I don't know if I want to do this Christian thing because people are getting killed over this. And I don't want to be one of the people being killed over this. So maybe I'm going to back off of this. And the author of Hebrews sends them this letter and says, go to church, gather together and encourage one another. If they're supposed to gather together in an environment where they might get killed over it, none of you ever miss church with an excuse as good as that. And it doesn't matter because that excuse didn't even, didn't even cut it anyways. When we encourage each other, we become what people need. I, I'm sure you've heard this story before. Little girl, she's, she's late for dinner. She misses dinner. She hasn't done her chores. She hasn't done her homework. When she finally gets home, her mom meets her at the front door and says, what is your explanation? And the girl says, well, my friend wrecked her bike and bent her bike. And the bike is now ruined and it's unfixable. And the bike was a gift from her dad, and, and she is just heartbroken, so I was sitting with her. And the mom is suspicious. If you're a parent, you ever been suspicious when your kids come up with an excuse? And the mom is a little suspicious, and she says, what do you know about fixing bikes? And the little girl says, I don't know anything about fixing bikes. But I know a lot about crying when you're sad. See, when we encourage each other, we are not being told, go fix each other's lives, because sometimes we can't. Sometimes, sometimes I got to hurt, but you can fix. But we are called to sit with each other. Sometimes literally to sit with each other. And sometimes just send a text and say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sitting with you. I'm walking with you through this. I don't know how to fix it, but I'm with you. And you're not looking at this unfixable pain by yourself. That is what we are being called to do, to encourage one another. Now, where should we encourage each other at? Watch your toes. If you're watching at home, watch your toes. Because one of the places we are called to encourage each other at is here, as we gather together. 
Do not forsake the assembly. Do not pass up. Being together, that's where we are supposed to come and encourage each other. See, we got this disease in our culture, this pandemic that's raging right now. I'm not talking about the coronavirus. I'm talking about, I don't even know what it's called. But it seems to affect only believers. And it seems to only affect when the church doors are open. Now, it doesn't ruin their appetite because they're still able to get somewhere to eat. Doesn't affect their eyes, they're still able to look at their television. Doesn't affect their ability to socialize because they're still able to, to go to the ball game and have a real good time. Doesn't affect their ability to fish or hunt or go boating or go swimming or sit home and just sit on the porch and do nothing. But it affects their ability to meet together. And we have this, this thing in our culture, right now we call them unchurched Christians. I, I think Paul would have fallen down if we said that phrase to him, if we could go back in time. Unchurched Christians, Christians who won't go to church. We got a whole bunch of Christians that are called, Jesus, you are my all in all. It's all about you, Jesus. Voice of the Martyrs, video night. Well, I ain't going to that. Jesus, it's all about unity. Midweek Bible study. Oh, I, I ain't going to that. Jesus, you're everything to me. You are all about... Midweek prayer gathering. You gonna pray for two whole hours? I got time for that, preacher. Jesus, you are all and all... Of me. You mean volunteer to be with some teenagers? Are you crazy? I'm not coming to that either. Jesus, you're all... About and children's ministry? Oh, no. Too old to work with little kids. Jesus, you are my all and all. In. Prayer vigil. Oh, I ain't got time for that either, preacher. You keep scheduling these things when I'm busy. The translation is you, you keep scheduling things I don't really want to do. Amen. So I'm gonna, like it is. So I'm gonna say that, that that I am busy. You know, when when people say, when too many people say, Jesus, you are my all in all, what they're really saying is. Jesus, you are my tiny good luck charm, and I want to keep you a tiny piece of my life. Now, I, have, I, I carry this a lot because I use this as an illustration with teenagers, this real little Jesus. And that is what we want to do. We want to keep Jesus nice and I want him everywhere with me. It's my good luck charm. I want him everywhere with me because Jesus is so important to me. But I want to keep Jesus at a real perfect size that... that that he can't really bother me because when I'm going somewhere I don't want to go, I just, just cover him up, put him in my pocket, and he won't see what I'm doing. He won't, he won't know. We want Jesus to be really big in our life, but not so big that we can't keep him hidden. So in Ephesians, Paul compares the church to the union between a husband and wife, almost like a marriage. He calls the church the bride of Christ. It is, it is absolutely impossible for you to say, I love you, Jesus. I love everything about you, but I don't do church. That's as silly as me going up to somebody and well, I love everything about you, but I hate your wife. Well, yeah, those, those things don't really match, do they? Yet, people claim that all the time. We must not quit meeting together. That was written to discourage believers who were thinking of walking away from Christianity under the threat of death. Being busy or being bored doesn't really compare to that. Amen. 
and they were told, meet together anyways. What do you think you would be told? Well, it's got too much going on this week, Jesus. I can't get together. What do you think he's going to respond to that when he told believers who were facing a fiery death, meet together anyways? You know, in, in the book of Acts, we saw 120 believers receive the Holy Spirit. Shortly after that, we saw Peter, who denied. Peter, one of my favorite characters, because he, he's, he's such a goofball. Peter preaches, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And in Acts 3.47, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to notice, God did not add people to the church without saving them. God did not save somebody without adding them to a body of believers. There are so many of these unchurched Christians today. I'm all about the church. I love the church. But I just don't ever want to go. I'm all about Jesus. But I don't like his bride. Now, so now that I've smashed some toes, let me, let me lift off just a millimeter, just a millimeter... Because, you know, we had this thing in the army where you go to formation and your, your sergeant stands in front of you at formation and reports to the first sergeant as they go down the line and, and says, all present or all accounted for. All accounted for means they're not all here, but I know where every one of them is and every one of them is somewhere where they're supposed to be doing something they're supposed to be doing. All accounted for. They're not all here. Some of them are already working. All accounted for, they're not all here, one of them's home on emergency leave. They're not all here, but one of them can't be here because they're busy doing an army mission. We gather together, we got people that haven't been with us for quite a while, but they're accounted for. They're not home being lazy. They're home, we got people among us, young and healthy, and they work in the healthcare field, and if they get out and they interact, and then when I pick up the coronavirus, I missed church for several weeks and I was just kind of laid up and I was miserable and I watched a whole lot of television and it was, it was just horrible. It was election season, all these political ads. It was, it was awful. But we got people working in the healthcare field and if they pick up this disease and don't get sick or before they know they're sick, if they carry it to somebody they work with, they're bringing them a death sentence. They're not with us because they're trying to protect the lives of people they work with. They're accounted for. They're not staying home because they're lazy. They're staying home because it's life and death. And they don't want to get somebody sick. we got people that they can't be with us. They're homebound and they can't get out. They're accounted for. That means those of us here, we're supposed to be encouraging them. We can get here, that means we gotta get here and we gotta work extra hard while we're here to let them know that we haven't forgotten them. To let them know they're still accounted for and they're still part of us because we don't forsake the assembly. Sometimes we can't assemble, but we're still part of the group. So that's me coming up off of all the toes I stepped on because there are great reasons Sometimes when people are not here, especially in 2020, especially in 2020 2.0, which is what we're living through right now. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, 
I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the gospel. The church is the walls and the floor of the gospel. The walls and the floor, the pillars and foundation of the gospel, of the truth. This is important. Not this building. This building burned down, we'll meet in the yard. If we can't meet in the yard, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go meet in Pastor Steve's yard. Put on some extra coffee, we'll be there. The, the, the building itself isn't important, but the assembly, that's important. When we get together, when we hold each other accountable, when we love each other, when we encourage each other, because it's going nuts out there, folks, and it has been for years and years, and it's not getting any better. The culture's not fixing itself. This wound is not clotting. It's getting worse. And as it gets worse, our mission becomes more important. And the way you fulfill that mission is to show up to the mission briefings so we can all get on the same page and so we can all encourage each other and be that foundation and be the pillars. Proverbs 18.1 Whoever isolates himself seeks his own. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 1 Corinthians 10.24 Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Over and over again. Don't do this Christian thing on your own, because you can't. We've got a whole lot of people who claim they can't, but they can't. God's word says they can't. We need to be together. I can't do this on my own. I need you guys pressing in around me, praying for me, lifting me up, encouraging me. And you guys all need that too. Because life is hard. Life beats up on us once in a while. Sometimes we are in mourning in life. And that's when we need the assembly around us. I love the story about the guy who goes and gets a job at a timber company. They pay very well. It's great working conditions. He wants this job and he shows up and he says, I want to cut down trees for you. I'm the best guy you ever saw going to cut down a tree. And the boss says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a shot. So the guy grabs an axe and he goes and he cuts down a tree in record time. And the boss says, all right, it's pretty good. You're hired. The first day, the guy cuts down 18 trees. Most of his experienced workers can only cut down 10 in a day. This guy knocks down 18. This guy comes in the next day, starts a little bit earlier, works a lot harder, but only cuts down 15. The next day, he only cuts down 11. The next day, he cuts down 7. And the next day, he gets there before everybody else, and he stays long after everybody else, and he only cuts down 4. And he says to the boss, I understand, I'm working so hard. And the boss says, you started out so great. What's, what's, what's going on? And the boss says, how are you sharpening your axe? Show me how you're sharpening the axe. And the, the guy looks up at him and says, I don't have time to sharpen the axe. I'm too busy cutting down trees. <laughs> we can't get so busy dealing with life that we don't show up here to get ready to deal with life. We are called to be together. We are called to be encouraged and to be encouragers, to be prayed for and to pray for, to be loved and to love, to be taught and to teach, to care for and be cared for. 
to hold accountable and be held accountable. You do not come here to get fed. That would make you a consumer. You are not called to be a consumer. You come here to serve God because you are called to be a servant. Maybe you get fed. That's that's great. And I, I love it when the pastor preaches. I get something out of it. I love when the praise team is up here. I just get something out of that. That's the extra. I'm not coming here to consume. I'm coming here to serve. You are coming here to serve. Because you are not called to consume. You are called to serve. Our culture is changing, and we cannot afford to assume that the next 40 years are going to be like the last 40 years. Or maybe we can assume they'll be just like the last 40 years, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. We need to be here sharpening one another and encouraging one another. We need to be here to do it. We need to be accounted for to do it. And if you're home and you're accounted for and you can't be here, it is our job to encourage you while you are home doing that. It is our job to encourage them. They're listening to me say this. They all know that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because that is what we are instructed to do. You pray with me, please. Father, it is good to be in your house, and I say that almost every week. Almost every time I pray out loud in this room, I say it is good to be in your house. It is good not to be in the building, although the building is, is, is fine. The building's great. But Lord, it is good to be with my family. It's good to be with my brothers and sisters. It is good to be with those who hug me, who high-five me, who love me, who hold me accountable who tell me things that, that, that make me feel good, who tell me things that I sometimes don't want to hear but need to hear. Lord, we need to be good to everybody. We need to be good when the visitors show up. We need to be good when the church family shows up. We need to be good for those that, that are accounted for and they're not here, but they are out there somewhere. Lord, we need to be good to them. We need to be encouraging one another. Not because it feels good, not because it sounds good, but because you have instructed us to do that. We need to encourage one another, and we need to be for one another. Lord, help us be for one another this week. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.